Is that a strange story or what? It's the story, I think, that describes the typical human response to crisis. Let's do something. Come up and help us do something. It seems to be our nature as human beings to want to just do. Let's fix this. Now, I know that quite well at my house. I married a doer and gave birth. Well, I didn't give birth. She gave birth to three more doers. And the only thing at our house that we ever knew how to do was to do. Because it's easy. Really. It's easy. Figure out a solution and fix the problem. It's exactly what Joshua did, right? He fixed the problem. Marched all night. Went up there. Started slaughtering people. He fixed the situation. And yet to see that in this story is... Frankly, they missed the point. This is an amazing series. You have been challenged to stand, as with Jesus, to stand down, as with Habakkuk, to stand up for the disenfranchised like Boaz, but today I'm going to ask you to do one of the most difficult things that I personally have ever experienced. Stand still. It's easier to do. It's easier to be active. It's easier to find a solution. It's easier to take the bull by the horns and try to throw it than it is to stand still. Jill alluded to the fact that I am recycled parts. Uh, Hers, by the way. If If you don't believe that, this is my favorite saying, taking like father, like daughter seriously. If you need a crime committed, call me. Because I can do it, and all of the evidence will point to her. (laughs) I am all her DNA at this point in my life. One of the things that we wrestle with is trying to figure out how to wait. And that has been what's been going on in our life for the last year and a half. Go give blood, wait for the results. I've had probably a half a dozen biopsies, and it takes almost 30 days to get the final results. And so you sit, and you wait. But the most difficult waiting happened after my transplant. They tell you not to get in a hurry. You're not going to know what's going on for several days, maybe a couple of weeks. But after the transplant, they kill you. They give you mega doses of chemotherapy and they wipe out every single vestige of your immune system. And you're left 
sitting there in a hospital, totally vulnerable. And after 14 days of no evidence that anything was happening, I was getting tired of waiting, of standing still, which I'm not very good at, quite frankly. So what I'm really asking you is, what, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? And I'm going to give you the most difficult answer in the world. Stand still. Now that's not the same as saying to you, just be laissez-faire, just let fate take its place. It isn't saying to you, be inactive. It's a recognition that there are things we can do and we ought to do the things that we're supposed to do. That's not a part of this standing still thing. That's, in fact, not at all what's in this story. If you read the book of Joshua, you recognize that, that Joshua often did, he did the right things. The little story of I that occurs just ahead of this story is when Israel had attempted to conquer this small army and had failed because one family, the family of Achan, had taken the goods from the, 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 the booty and Israel was in trouble. And, and Joshua did what you might expect a good Jewish follower of God to do. He fell flat on his face and he prayed. That seems like a logical thing to do in a moment when crisis has struck and life isn't making a lot of sense. It's what we do what literally hundreds of people have been doing for us. And yet the surprise in that story is that God says, Joshua, get up. Go do what you know you're supposed to do. So it's not an invitation to inactivity. What Joshua was told to do was simply to go do what he already knew he should do. You've been there, right? You don't have to ask God what to do when somebody hurts you. Jesus already told you, turn the other cheek. Practice forbearance. Return good for evil. Bless those who curse you. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. It just means that's what we already know that we're supposed to do. If I find your wallet laying out here in the lobby and it's full of money and credit cards and it has your name in it, you know what I'm supposed to do with that. Take your money and give you back your wallet. You'll never know that it was me. I had a friend tell me a story this week. I just, it just honestly surprised me. He, like me, has trouble reading fine print in the dark or in shadowy places, and so they'd gone to a restaurant to eat supper. He had left a tip based on what he thought he read on the ticket. He got home and he looked at it and realized that he really hadn't done much more than, well, just a token tip to this server. And so he called the restaurant back and he had them give the server an additional tip because he thought that was the right thing to do. Most of the time, you and I know what we should do. It's just a matter of 
doing it. We certainly have it figured out when it comes to salvation, right? We do the thing that we're supposed to do because what we want to do is we want to honor God and we want to do the very thing that would give Him glory. So, Colossians, do all in the name of Jesus. 1 Corinthians, do all to the glory of God. And that becomes our attempt to try to live out this, well, do the right thing. When when we found out what we were facing, I say we because my wife has been with me through every step of this journey, as well as my family and my church. In order to get into the treatment process that I wanted to get into with a a trial that would potentially be more successful uh, and, and potentially help somebody in the future, we had to sit with a social worker and we're going through this interview with the social worker, which was a delightful conversation until she asked me this question. So what are your coping mechanisms? And I thought, I don't want to look stupid. Uh, are you asking me if I self-medicate? Uh, are you asking me if I have a support? I, I really wasn't absolutely certain what she was asking, and my only response was, initially, I'm sorry, I don't really have a coping mechanism. What I do have is a lot of experience with a faithful God. I said, we've been married 50 years, and we've had multiple times in our life where crisis came up, And things did not go the way we had planned. But not once, not once in all of those 50 years has God not been faithful. I don't want to sound like I'm not taking this seriously, but it's just cancer. And whatever happens is going to be okay because, well, because it's always okay. God is always faithful. I guess she passed that answer because we got in. But it's really true, and I don't want to come across as if I'm some kind of saint that has this whole thing figured out. What what I want you to understand is that over the years of watching what God has done in our life and in the lives of other people, we have actually learned that sometimes the best thing to do is just stand still. Just let God be God. It's probably probably why when I first ventured back to worship, I did not go to a worship service for a long time, but the daughter who lives in, in Quincy, Amy, made arrangements for us to come early to the church for worship practice, and we sat through the worship practice and me trying to sing and I I couldn't I couldn't get a word out. I'm I'm just I'd I'd been absent from corporate worship for so long that I sat and just cried through the whole experience. And there are still songs that, that do that to me. I just can't get through them because they have taken on such 
new meaning to me. One of them you're probably familiar with. I'll not sing it for you, but it's the song Firm Foundation. And part of the, part of the song says, I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength because I've built my life on Jesus. He never let me down. He's faithful through every season. Why would he fail now? And you know what comes next if you're familiar with the song. He won't. He won't. He won't. Now, does that mean you're going to get your prayer answered the way that you think you should get it? I don't know. What I know is this. He'll never fail. He will not fail. He's already done for us what is most important. So, you have nothing to lose. So what do you do when you can't do anything else? Well, you do the thing that you know to do. let me give you a second thing that I think surfaces more clearly in this text. What do you do when there's nothing else you can do? You submit and let him do what only he can do. You stand still. And you let God be God and do what God can do. See, the fascinating thing about the text as weird as some of the stuff is in there, we often get all caught up on this miraculous standing still of the sun. Or we, we look at Joshua and his actions and how, how, how he commanded, which, by the way, is a weird thing. Did you notice that in the text? Joshua spoke to the Lord, but then he commanded the sun. So, was he telling God what to do? Was he just bypassing God? Was he praying and we just don't have some of the information? And God, God listened. But, but what we don't pay attention to in the text is all the emphasis that every biblical narrative should have as our focus. Did you see the activity of God? God said to Joshua, they'll not prevail over you. God fought for Israel. God sent down hailstones. God did more damage than all the armies of Israel. All of the focus is where it's supposed to be in a biblical narrative. It's on the action and the activity and the presence of God. This is a story about God, not about Joshua, not about miracles. It's a story about what God does in the life of people. Sometimes, Always, when we don't deserve it. Even when we bypass, make a prayer that looks like we're asking God to do something and then not even wait for Him to answer, we just turn around and command the sun to stand. And the text says, there'd never been a day like it in all of Israel, not then nor since. But it isn't because the sun stood still. Did you hear it? Because God listened to a human. But then he's done that before. This is not the first time God listened to a human. He listened to Abraham argue for the lives of those in Sodom. He listened to Moses argue for all of the nation of Israel. 
Maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's the next statement. For God fought for Israel. That's repeated three times in the book of Joshua. In addition to this one, God fought for Israel. Now, we know that there's nothing we can do. We can't do anything about our salvation. We got that pretty well firm. We, we, we figured this one out. You and I both know that outside of Jesus, we have absolutely no hope, right? And if you don't know that, let me just tell you that. If you don't know Jesus, I'm sorry. You're in trouble. Because you got nothing to rely on. You have no place to turn. I can remember when Bill came to my office and he poured out this story that was almost an unbelievable story, and then six months later I learned it was in fact an unbelievable story because he was lying to me the whole time. But it was okay, because I don't care. You can lie to me all you want. I'm not the one that makes any decisions about your life. But after two or three meetings, I found myself at a position where I'm usually very uncomfortable to be quite so bold but I finally just said, Bill, listen, I've got no answers for any of this. What I know is this. You need Jesus. And a couple of months later, he gave his life to Jesus, and his life has never been the same. We've got this part figured out. When, there's, when it's salvation that's at stake, we know that there's nothing we can do, and we just let God do what God does. But what happens when it's life? When it's just the chaos that comes every day because we live in brokenness. Sometimes it's decisions we make. Sometimes it's decisions others make. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? You submit. You yield. You, you recognize that there's nothing you can do. It had been just over two weeks since Jill gave me several million of her stem cells. There had been no evidence that it had worked. And I'm embarrassed to tell you I'd lost my confidence. For the first time in this entire experience, I got scared. And I don't know why, because I'm good either way. I really am. But every blood test came back, nothing. And for two nights in a row, I woke up in the middle of the night, terrified, anxious, Concerned. I don't know how, how to tell you how I felt. So I got my phone out. I googled one of my favorite preachers. I listened to a sermon on one of the Psalms. And then I would Google Andrew Peterson. And I would lay there and listen to the music of Andrew Peterson and others like him. And then I would just turn my phone on to the Bible and I would just let the text wash over me. 
and peace. Amen. I didn't have a choice but to just stand still and do the only thing that I knew how to do down deep in my soul. Just let God be God and let Him send through all of those wonderful saints that had created this music and these sermons and just let those words quiet my soul. Because there was nothing I could do. I I stand still because I've experienced the great care of God in the past and I have no less expectation that I will experience it today or in the future. It doesn't mean that everything is going to turn out just right. I don't know whether it will or not. What I do know is this. The battle is the Lord's. It was God who fought for Israel. And that's the only stance I know how to take. Is to let God have this. And to yield in submission to whatever that looks like. I am, frankly, quite enamored by one of the things that the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live on in the place, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. That's the dilemma, isn't it? We want to go see Jesus. We want to stay here and serve Jesus. So what do we do? We yield. And we give thanks. Either way. My friend Larry has really helped me with that. It's a pretty regular occurrence for me at this point in my life, because I am doing well. To have people walk up to me at church and say, wow, you are clearly evidence that God answers prayers. Yes, I am. It's true. 
I'm just hoping that it doesn't turn out like it did for Hezekiah. He prayed for an extra 15 years and lived a miserable 15 years. I'm hoping that's not what happens. But what about that family for whom it goes the other way? That was Larry. His wife died of cancer. She didn't recover. And yet, here's a man who has learned to be thankful. That God did answer prayer. He just didn't answer it the way most people would expect. But he was satisfied that God was in control and that he could stand still and let God be God. And whichever way it came out, it was okay. Because it is, in fact, okay. In Jesus, I can with great confidence say, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. But what do you do when there's absolutely nothing you can do? You yield. You stand still in the presence of a faithful God. And I can tell you absolutely certainly that your family, your friends, your neighbors, the community of Springfield needs to see a church that knows how to stand still in the midst of crisis and just let God be God. I'm going to ask you to join me as I have joined you for the past several weeks by simply taking a deep breath. Just relax. Turn your palms upward. It's a sign that you are in submission but it's also a sign that you're ready to receive whatever God gives. And just for a few moments, would you yield? Just yield whatever the crisis is in your life, whatever the worry is. And just let God know whatever he decides, it's okay. Okay.